And it is about people, people first and foremost. So in order to go there, you need to look at the fact that you are a human being with nervous systems and they are creating the way you view your future and how you understand yourself and how you act with people. So are you willing to go inside yourself and go through a range of processes to unpack who are you below the surface? Hey everyone, it's Amy Lynn Durham and you're listening to Create Magic at Work. Create Magic at Work is on a mission to equip senior leaders with tools they need to be a true quantum leader and actually understand what that means. Improve employee engagement, retain top talent, and transform your workplace culture to have less drama and stress. So let's start making magic. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Create Magic at Work. Today is a real treat because our guest is Martin Inskow. He has a diverse career and background in working in the human service sector, government, and as a private executive coach and organizational development consultant locally, nationally, and internationally. And just to give you a little bit more background, he's a fellow of the Royal Society of the Arts in the UK, a Barrett Model Values Certified Consultant, an associate of the Compassionate Education Foundation. He's an ICF member, a certified deep change spiritual intelligence coach and consultant. That's how we met, <laughs> of course. And uh, recently, he's focused his work in applied neuroscience in his executive leadership coaching practice. I met Martin in a spiritual intelligence coaches community call. And his discussion that he led was really intriguing. And so we ended up connecting a second time one-on-one -on -one, and he was speaking about leadership and coaching from this neurobiological lens. And I have studied the, well, we're going to get into that a little bit more to help you understand how that's going to help your leadership. Uh, but I asked Martin to come on the Create Magic at Work podcast to share ways that you can really connect with your teams and with your clients in a much, much better way from this neurobiological lens. So Martin, welcome to Create Magic at Work. Thank you very much, Amy, for inviting me. I really appreciate this. Yeah, I'm excited that you're here and that you agreed to be a guest, really. So thank you. Why don't we get started? Because I can picture somebody driving in their car or cleaning their house, listening to this, like, and what are they talking about? Leadership from a neurobiological lens. I'm just trying to hit my numbers or get my team to do this project. I, why is Amy going here? Of course, we're SQ, spiritual intelligence coaches as well. So can you maybe speak to that in a simplified way? Well, the first thing I do want to say, thank you very much for having me here as well. I really appreciate this. And we did have fun last time we had spoken about spiritual intelligence and neurobiological coaching in a sense. So I want to start off with my first principle, and that is do no harm. So I really believe first principle as leaders of any organization is we are there not to do harm to people, however mm -hmm. they want. So what does that take? So I just want to read something very quickly from P. Palmer from uh, 1990, and actually comes out of a, a book that I've written a while ago, but was never able to publish because the editors died on me. But that's another story. So this is what he said. A leader is a person who has an unusual degree of power to project on other people his or her shadow or his or her light. 
A leader is a person who has the unusual degree of power to create conditions under which other people must live and move and have there being conditions that are either illuminating as heaven or shadowy as hell. A leader is a person who must take special responsibility for what's going on inside him or herself, inside his or her consciousness, lest the act of leadership create more harm than good. That, to me, sets the context of our conversation. So from my point of view, in order for a leader to actually be able to move into the place of light, be able to actually ensure that they're illuminating as hell, that they have a responsibility to understand what's going inside themselves and the other people to remain conscious of the fact that their job is to provide compassion, kindness, and caring. How do you do that? How do you do that? And so we've all fought and we've all gone through all kinds of practices to enhance our compassion, our cognitive intelligence, our emotional intelligence, our physical intelligence. However, spiritual intelligence, which is about meaning and purpose, requires a couple of skills. And we don't have enough time to go into this, but spiritual intelligence and the SQ21 network that we're part of, there is a skill, and it's called skill number 20. It's actually a leader having a calming influence and a healing presence, to me says everything. Because if you are working from that place, it also establishes a place in your neurobiology, your autonomic nervous system, the way we experience our lives, where we need to come from a place of safety. My assumption is, after years of experience, most leaders I've worked with come from a place of fear, distress, to a large extent, anger, and I think a lot of it is also related to threat. And I think my sense of it is that they don't even know how deeply embedded it is, it is within themselves. So their decision-making, which comes actually from the place of the body first before it actually makes its way up to the mind, is having them at a place where they are, cannot be calming. They cannot be a healing presence both for themselves and for other people. That's, that's my context. Yeah, I love everything you said. <laughs> and the do no harm. That's such a great thing to remember as a quantum leader, servant leader, however you want to define yourself. How do I do that? How do you be a calming and healing presence? How do you show up not from a place of fear or threat when you do feel afraid? Or when you're going through a, something in your personal life that's maybe rocked you, yet you're in charge of, you know, you have a team that you, oh, I have to be a calming and healing presence for this team. How do you do that? Not easy. It's not an easy practice. I would assume thinking about this and where the first start is, or the starting point for this would be, is actually for the person to start looking inward. And having the ability and the tools to look inward to start understanding what's happening within my body, what's happening within my mind, and they're connected, and what's happening in terms of my meaning and presence in this world, and why am I here and what am I there to do? So looking inward is the trick. It's not looking outward and simply saying the external environment needs to change and I need to actually put into practice all my rules and all my directions. The question is, what are you looking at internally? What are the skills for you and the comfort level for you start asking questions about what's happening with my autonomic nervous system? 
which is the creation of our experience as human beings. And so the practice is really how do we look inward and how do we understand how our autonomic nervous system operates? And there's a range of tools to start looking how do you map where you are and how do you become in a place or be able to get to a place of safety, security, and socially connected with other people? And it's interesting because the question I always ask leaders, so what is your job when you actually are relating to other people? And of course, we hear the story, well, giving them direction, setting a vision for them, developing mechanisms for increasing their performance, accountability, and obviously accountability and transparency. And my message is no. There are three things that your staff and people that you actually have a relationship with that help you understand that there's a need for you to go within yourself. First thing is you need to know them as a person. Number one. Number two, you need to see them. You need to see them and hear them. And number three, you have to demonstrate that you care for them as human beings. Now, it's funny because I've actually, I'm doing work within nursing culture as well. And when I presented that to the nurse instructors, they had never heard that before. And they work in a profession where they, they're obviously nurses need to know the patient. They need to see the patient. They need to care for the patient. But in terms of working within organizational culture, it's not about them. So, so that's where I think leaders need to go. So how do you get there? Mm-hmm. And, and that's really the trick. And my question always is, do people want to go there? Do leaders actually want to explore what's happening within themselves? Or is it, is it something that they are A, fearful of? B, does it really, from their point of view, cause them to fear that what they're going to explore is something that they're not comfortable with? Three, it takes a tremendous amount of courage and bravery to say, it's time for me to look inward because what I create outward is what I create inward. And it is about people, people first and foremost. So in order to go there, you need to look at the fact that you are a human being with nervous systems, and they are creating the way you view your future and how you understand yourself and how you act with people. So are you willing to go inside yourself and go through a range of processes to unpack who are you below the surface? Yeah, that's deep. <laughs> I, I had so much come up for me as, as you were sharing that. What is your experience with someone that has the courage and the bravery to go inward? What are the results? What happens? Is it messy? Is it clean? It's messy and it could be clean, both at the same time. It also takes a tremendous amount of commitment to actually start a conversation that's non-threatening. And it may not be, this may not be the starting point. Mm. Trust me, I never go with leaders and I'm working with, I actually work with spiritual leaders and faith leaders. And I don't start there. I start at a place of where they want to start talking about what's happening within them. And often it's a conversation of separation. And I want to separate from my past experience. I want to separate from what is happening internally and externally within my world. I want to separate and I want to start figuring out how do I move forward. So there are many other things and conversations we have just simply about what that means. It takes a while for me to introduce these other concepts. And I think that with many leaders who may be listening to this, they may look at this or think about this or 
feel about this that this is this will never really actually materialize into anything. It'll take too long. And that's my favorite conversation with leaders. Give me the answers today. Mm-hmm. I don't want I don't want you to actually ask me questions. I want you to tell me what to do. And I need answers immediately. And if this is going to take longer than I have, I'm not interested in give me the quick fix. In the time of volatility and uncertainty and ambiguity and chaos, which we're facing, COVID, post-COVID, whatever else, I think we are starting to have to ask those questions about how am I going to live my own life? How am I going to live here in this environment with other people and feel that I'm actually focusing on my well-being and focusing on my own health? And the first question then simply, are you committed? to doing this not just physically, but also spiritually, your meaning and purpose, but also what's going on inside you that you need to start paying attention to? And are you willing at this point in time to enter into a journey? And I never guarantee how long the journey will take, but I I do see that it takes time. But I do find that generally speaking, there are many leaders who will never go here. They just won't go here. Mm -hmm. Never. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, my own journey <laughs> and how naive I was when I started on it. Just, oh, this is great, you know, spiritual and it feels so good. And I'm thinking of Dr. Angelise Arian. She's a cultural anthropologist that says we start, we hear the call, we start the journey, then we have the struggle, then we have the breakthrough, and then we have completion, and then we kind of do the cycle over again. To your point, I, I guess it's, yeah, it's for me, I think it feels a little messy at times and that's okay. And just when you're talking about the leaders that want the quick answers, want the quick fix, well, you and I both know that's the exact opposite of a wise and effective change agent. And if you really want sustainable change, you don't rush to the quick fix. You, you go through the layers, you do the inner work. So I just kind of wanted to echo that back and, and share my thoughts because <laughs> I want to share something personal with you, Mars. So I, I don't know if I told you this or not, but in 2021, I decided to be a calming and healing presence for the whole year. I decided that was the skill I was going to work on. And I was just so like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a calming and healing presence and I'm going to show up. And it was probably the biggest failure ever. I had so many things rise up in my life that challenged me in that area. And towards the end of the year, I was like, this is enough. I've had it. Why did I pick this? (laughs) So I hear you on the, the tough work, but I just keep thinking of that the the journey and the struggle and the breakthrough. So I'm like, oh, the breakthrough is around the corner. So I don't know if you want to speak to any of that, but because I do have another yeah. question. Yeah, I, I do. Let me let me take you to a framework for people to consider when they think about their autonomic nervous system. There are three states that that I think we play with. It's very different with people. There's a lot of neuromythology out there that there really only are two states. You know, flight and fight. And freeze and rest and digest. It's not that's not true. 
Uh, it's much more complex in terms of our evolution as a human being. But it seems to me that there's a hierarchy of physiological states. And let me just speak to one thing that uh, digress. I've worked in organizations where I've worked with leaders who now that I look backwards in terms of being retrospective in my analysis, they were frozen. They were in collapse, and they had no clue that they were in collapse. What's worse is that their organization was within collapse. They thought they were moving forward. You know, work looked like it was moving forward. But in reality, everybody was in collapse and never knew it. They never knew that they were disengaged. They were disorganized. They were actually freezing most of their time. They were still doing their work. But physiologically, they were in terrible shape, but they never admitted it. They never admitted that they were in collapse. You know, it's different stages of collapse. Mm -hmm. And actually, Stephen Porges, who's the author and the creator of the polyvagal theory, which I, I believe is pretty useful here, agreed yes. with me per principally there could from a hypothesis. It could be that as a leader is dysregulated, the organization is dysregulated. Mm. And I've and I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of organizations over the years. And you know, maybe I've been jaded because a lot of them are not great. Uh, not saying they're bad people, not saying the leaders are bad human beings, but their organizations were just were toxic and they didn't even know it. And, mm -hmm. even, and my job was not to deal with it. But anyways, thinking backwards, they were so badly dysregulated as an organization. And one message to the folks that are listening to this, be honest with yourself. If you feel that you're dysregulated, there are things going on that make you feel unhealthy, you're impacting your organization one way or another, and actually other people will feel that and experience that neurobiologically. And I think we talked about the notion of co-regulation. Their mm -hmm. bodies are experiencing what you're giving off. And you may feel that you're being positive and affirming, but if your body's taking you to a different place and you feel the angst every day and you feel various parts of the body are not feeling very good for you and you're able to understand that, that is being actually, I think, demonstrated in ways that you don't even know. And it's called neuroception. The body of a person sitting beside you on a telephone is receiving that and actually becoming dysregulated because of you. So there is the neuroception. There are three states. The neuroception, which is all that's happening below the surface that you may not even know about. It's called awareness without detection. There's either a place of being safe and socially connected with other people, and that's a good place, or you're actually a neuroception of danger, cues of danger within yourself and external are really important. And the third one is a neuroception of life threat in terms of trauma, collapse. Those are three states our bodies go through, and there's different sequences, and there are different ways that they play with each other. But ultimately, it comes to the place of when we start working through this, what's the story of your connection to yourself and others? What's the story of protection yourself and others? And what's the story of disconnection? So that's a framework that I think becomes really useful. So the question is, where are you? How do you live your life knowing that you may be in a place of connection? You may be in a place of protection. You may be in a place of disconnection. But you may not even know that. And my yeah. tools you go through and the process you go through is helping people map that out and understand, and I think we talked about this, where are they at home now? Where do they want to be at home? And there's some pushback in terms of this theory in that there are people who have tremendous difficulty who are often at home in a place 
where they're still learning about themselves. You know, I'm thinking about in terms of autistic kids, autistic, uh, you know, along the spectrum, they may be in disconnection and they may never, ever get to connection, but that doesn't mean that they're not living their lives. But the most important thing is in terms of neuroscience speak, and especially in terms of autonomic nervous system, it's about, it's actually about survival. It's the, the brain and the body is always about survival. And so it's really telling us if we're going to survive, we need to know in these three physiological and neurological states, where are we at home? So maybe we can thrive. I have a question for this and I want to make it super understandable for everyone listening. So if I'm a leader and I'm in an immobilized state and I recognize that, let's say I get to the recognition recognition point what is something I can do to move out of that immobilized state? One, I mean, one small thing today, because I'm like, I'm picturing myself, you know, listening to this, like, well, oh my gosh, I don't feel that great today. I feel a little immobilized. What, what now? Is there one thing that we can leave them as a tip to maybe move to the, the yes. calming and healing state? Yeah, there are some basic things that will stimulate the vagal nerve, which is another conversation. There are two things you can mm -hmm. do. One is the power of breathing. And we always talk about the power of breathing. So this is 7-Eleven breathing, which actually helps move, and I'll use some language, from sympathetic to parasympathetic, which takes you to a place of safety and calm. Mm -hmm. Breathe in for a count of seven and out for a count of 11. The longer the out breath triggers the parasympathetic response, it calms the body. That's important. So breathing in for a count of seven, hold it for four beats, then out for a count of 11, rhythmically and slow. Do that for four or five minutes. It will calm you down. That's one technique. The other technique I tell people, there's two ways of doing this with water. Warm water on your face, go into the bathroom, Go somewhere, actually put your face in some hot or some warm water. It will soothe you. It will warm you. It's going to reduce adrenaline and increase oxytocin. Those are two very basic things. And the same thing can be done with cold water. Cold water will also help you to actually attain that same kind of sense of uh, calmness and so on. And there are many other activities. Walk in the park, but it has to be with nature. And okay. how do you focus on nature? How do you focus on a piece of grass or a blade of grass? How do you focus on a rose? So those are three basic things. There are so many other things you could do. But what's important is you're actually using your body to change your state of being. Mm -hmm. Not yeah, the other I way. Love, I love the water. Obviously, I love the breathing and the exhaling longer. The other ones are fresh and new. So thank you for, for sharing those additional, just simple, because sometimes this can all, all these concepts can feel so overwhelming. Like, well, where do I start? I have a burning question for you. <laughs> Let's say someone has done these exercises and they're in situations where sometimes, you know, at work, things might get chaotic, you know, things happen. And I'm curious what is the difference between being in that calming and healing? What did you call it? The ventral vagal state? 
I call yeah, it the green. I call it the green state. So I never yeah. remember that. Yeah. Same thing. What is the difference between being in that calming green feeling and learning how to regulate your nervous system to be there and between that and being desensitized? How do you know the difference? How do you know, am I calm and just chill here or am I immobilized? Well, that's a really important question and I could break it out in many ways, but I know we don't have a lot of time. What mm -hmm. I would do is I would ask the person to step aside and basically pay attention to what's happening with their senses. Focus on your five senses. And it, actually the tool is called the wheel of awareness. And it basically asks the question about what's happening in terms of what am I smelling? Just just simply breathe in. What am I? What am I smelling? Experience that. Then, what am I seeing through my eyes? And describing that in a way. What am I hearing? You know, what am I feeling? What am I tasting? And just spend time thinking about that. And that could take a minute. And just simply step aside and do that. the The next thing is asking what's happening inside myself. How am I paying attention to my breathing? Right? How am I paying attention to my heart rate? How am I trying to slow that down? So it's very much what I call awareness, intention, attention. Thank you. You're welcome. I was I I I was like thinking about our conversation yesterday, and I was like, I have to ask him that one question because I was curious about it. Can you share what you feel a quantum leader is? That's interesting. I'm still going to use the context of their relationship to other people. I'm not talking about performance. It's interesting. Can I just tell you a very quick story? I was working with sure. a group of leaders. The other, there are two stories. Working with a group mm -hmm. of leaders in an organization, senior leaders. And at one point, and this was in a sense getting to the point of what's your role? What's the most important role you have? And I looked at them. I said, this is serious business. You're working in an organization. You have responsibility for maybe hundreds of employees in different places. What would I, how would you feel if I actually made the statement? You are responsible for their lives, for their health and wellness, and what happens with their families. What do you think? And nodding, 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 quickly moved on. Okay, pretty clear that they didn't, they, they didn't accept that. Because we always go to the place where people are responsible for themselves. Not when you're a leader. Leaders, we defer to leadership all the time. It's it's within us. It's hardwired. So my question is, you are there not to harm them. And they're not there to harm their subordinates. And they're there not to harm anybody who are collaterals and clients, patients, service providers, supply chain. They have a role there. And that's really, that's number one. Number two, and this is an interesting story, and it took a while for me to figure this out. I'm a consultant, work in organizational life, and I'm working with teams. And I've always been taught in my training and my experience was teams should never be siloed. And that's what we all believe. They should have a center, a way to actually think about the big picture, be a part of where the big picture is taking us, the vision and the mission and the mandate. Well, I learned through a lot of team leaders. Silos in the last five, six years have become sanctuaries. Sanctuaries mm. for their staff to be protected 
from the people above the team leader. And I, and I didn't realize, I fought against that as a consultant, and I thought, we got to break this down. Then I realized after speaking to them and bringing in the do-no-harm principle, mm -hmm. they were protecting everybody. However, the team leader was probably, as the firewall, was actually in the long term damaging their own psyche by trying to protect everybody below them when they mm. themselves were being badly damaged, including their health and mental health. And they were probably seen by and large by the leader as a threat and as being disloyal to the organization. I am thinking if silos act as sanctuaries in organizational life, when leaders think that they actually are making a difference and actually paying attention to the well-being, but they're really not, from an organizational point of view, sanctuaries become really important as a strategy of survival and not as a place of thriving. Hmm. And that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. I'm going to add some light fun to this. <laughs> Although this was fun for me. I, you know, we just talked about some really big concepts here. <laughs> I'm going to pull you a card. It's going to be a message for you and everyone listening from my journal prompt card deck. And we're going to get a message for everyone today. Okay. <laughs> okay. I know I do this all the time, but I'm just like, it's so cool. The stuff we get, cause it like comes up in line with what we're talking about. And I shuffled and didn't look, but we got power. And this is a deck of 33 cards. And right, and I mean, this whole episode, the theme has been do no harm. How can I go inward? And that is totally what this card is about. It's about power. And the affirmation on here is I make wise decisions, keeping the big picture in mind. So Martin, I'm going to ask you one of the questions on here in a way that hopefully we can help others. What can someone maybe clear from their life to help them move forward to a better future? Really interesting question. I think clear one fear they may have. One fear or one belief. In our business, it's called an iceberg belief or rule. One thing you believe is true that is not helpful anymore, bring it to the surface and say, I don't want to live that with that belief anymore. Oh and, my put gosh. It, and put it and put it out there and and put it visibly out there for you to say, this is a belief doesn't that doesn't serve me nor my family nor my community anymore. And I can't believe this anymore. I just got the chills. I thank you for that answer. That was really good. I mean, how can we make this stuff up? <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Martin, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they reach you? We're obviously going to put everything in the show notes, links, all that other stuff. People want to connect with you. Where can they go? They can go to my website, which is actually my name, www.martinitsko.com, I think, or .ca. I, can't .ca, I think it is. Okay. And again, all those links will be here right on, right on the show. Thank you so much for being a guest on the Create Magic at Work podcast. It's a very powerful episode. And I, I think a lot of people, me and myself included, will have to go back and listen again, absorb a lot of stuff that came up, learn new stuff every time. So I think it was really valuable. Thank you for being here. And thank you for sharing your wisdom. 
My pleasure. Maybe one day I'll throw this out at you. Maybe mm-hmm. one day we can have one of your listeners come on and we could do a mapping session. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Okay, so if anybody's listening right now, if you're interested in that, you know all my social handles. You can direct message me on LinkedIn, Instagram, email me, go to my website. If you're interested in doing a mapping session, we'll do that. We'll do that live on the show. Thank you. Thank you for that generous offer. Absolutely. My pleasure. So take care. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Amy Lynn Durham here. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. All the show notes and links can be found at createmagicatwork.net, or you can just look in the show notes in the episode and they're right there for you. Come back each week and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Keep joining us for more exciting episodes where we help you transform workplace culture to leaders that create less drama and stress and have high productivity and profitability. You have the power to create a burnout-free workplace right now. You can gain access to my new course, Create a Burnout-Free Team and Workplace, where you'll receive step-by-step tutorials in creating a team and organization that thrives. Click the link in the show notes to join us. I hope we brought a little magic to your day. Sending magic to everyone and see you next time.